My wife, Kim, uh, doesn't like small boats, especially not on the open sea. She has a particular reason for that aversion. Um, when she was 11 years old, uh, she and her family escaped Vietnam at night in a small fishing vessel, along with over 200 other people in a similar situation, packed in shoulder to shoulder. They spent four nights and three days in the, in the South China Sea. And during that time, there were storms. Um, at one point, they uh, had to escape pirates. And that voyage ended with their boat in pieces um, off the shore of an island in Malaysia. And they all swam to shore safely and spent the next six months in a refugee camp there. So, understandably, she doesn't like small boats on the open sea. I've never had that experience. But uh, somehow, on our honeymoon, I talked her into letting me take her out in a small sailboat uh, in uh, Grand Cayman. And it was beautiful. The weather was perfect. Uh, the water was clear. You could see down to the bottom in the coral reefs. Then at some point, we got to the edge of the coral reef, and the ocean floor dropped off into an abyss. And um, I was, at the time, confident in my sailing abilities and in my swimming abilities, but my heart jumped with that primal fear of, wow, you know, this is, this is the ocean. And I have to say, um, I wanted nothing more than to get back to land and to plant my, my feet on terra firma. Uh, there is this um, primal fear of the, of the ocean, of the open seas. Um, this is what the disciples were experiencing in this story from the gospel. The terror of deep waters. The Sea of Galilee is not, is not salt water. It's fresh water, but it's a, it's a large, what we call a lake, and um, it is prone to, um, to sudden storms. Uh, G.A. Smith, in his uh, The Historical Geography of the Holy Land in 1909, wrote this. The atmosphere, for the most part, hangs still and heavy, but the cold currents, as they pass from the west, are sucked down into vortices of air or by the narrow gorges that break upon the lake. Then arise those sudden storms for which the region is notorious. Some of Jesus' disciples who were with him in the boat were experienced fishermen. They knew this lake. This was their workplace. This is where they had grown up. It was familiar ground. But in a liquid environment, the familiar can suddenly become very unfamiliar. Uh, I remember not too many years ago returning to the Texas Medical Center where my wife and I uh, did our medical training, and everything was different. In fact, the apartment complexes uh, where, where I had lived as a medical student, uh, they were completely gone and replaced by something else. It was a completely disorienting experience. And for a fisherman, the lake can suddenly change in its appearance with the storm, and what is familiar becomes unfamiliar. But to Jesus and his disciples, there was more than just that baked-in hardwired, innate, primal fear of, of large waters in a storm. 
to the Near Eastern mind, uh, the sea was a symbol of primal chaos and nothingness. Now, in the Bible, water is certainly a symbol of life. The waters of life, Jesus talks about living waters. But the open ocean is something different. The sea is a symbol of primeval chaos and nothingness. The Hebrew word is to home. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, darkness was over the face of the deep or the abyss, the to home. Uh, now, to our 21st century Western cosmology, when we think of the beginning, uh, we may think of sort of dark, empty space, the vacuum of space, uh, as, as, as nothingness. Actually, that is something. It's space and time. Um, even if we say before space and time, there's got to be something for space to expand into. So there's, there's something there. But in our minds, the nothingness before creation is is dark, empty space. To the Near Eastern mind, the nothingness before creation was symbolized, characterized by the ocean, the primal chaos. And God's work in creation of uh, overcoming the, the chaos, the uh, uh, chaos waters of the deep, was to form and fill, to order, and to uh, make abundant the emptiness, the darkness, and the chaos. When uh, in our reading from the book of Job, uh, God is talking about creation, he talks about his work of confining the deep, of bringing limits to the chaos waters of the primal sea. Who shut in the sea with its doors when it burst out from the womb, when it made clouds its garment, and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no further. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Overcoming the forces of chaos and nothingness um, was part of God's work in creation, and it will be completed uh, in his new creation. Revelation 21.1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. It's not that God doesn't like marine life. Um, this is a statement about God's victory over the forces of chaos and nothingness in his new creation. So to Jesus and his disciples, the storm on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus' ultimate power over it was not just about Jesus's power over nature in general, but specifically, this is God's divine power over the deep, over the tahom, over the chaos waters of the pre-creation. The Bible is a unified story that po points to Jesus, and um, our reading from the psalm actually is, is literally fulfilled in Jesus in this story in Mark chapter 4. Just to review it for you, sometimes when I read the psalm responsively, by the time we get to the sermon, I've forgotten what it is. So I'll read it again for you. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. 
Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Again, these words of the psalm were literally fulfilled in Jesus here in Mark chapter 4. And to Jesus is ascribed divine power, ascribed to him power that only God possesses, power over the chaos waters of the deep. Well, while all of this was going on, while the waves were uh, coming over the side of the boat and the boat was filling up with water, uh, where was Jesus? Jesus was in the stern of the boat asleep. Interestingly, this is the only time in the gospel accounts that Jesus is, is said to be sleeping. Now, we know he slept, slept at night, you know, he couldn't, couldn't go his entire life without sleep. But this is the only place in the Gospels where it specifically says that he's asleep. And this is interesting because it's not at night. It's not a usual time to sleep. And it's particularly not a usual time to sleep when your boat is in the midst of a storm. Sleep is a gift from God. We know that from Psalm 127, verse 2. He, he gives sleep to his beloved. Sleep, though, is a strange and remarkable phenomenon. Um, it's not just rest, it's really a reset for our mind and if, for our mind also for our, our bodies and our spirits. Um, God, of course, does not sleep and Jesus in his divinity doesn't sleep. So Jesus' sleep is part of him humbling himself. Uh, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Jesus not only acknowledged, but also embraced his limitations as a human being. And here he is, he's tired, so he sleeps. This sleep is not only an acknowledgement of his limitations, but also a trust in God's provision and protection. Because Jesus both acknowledged his limitations as a human being, and trusted in God's provision and protection, he was able to sleep like a child at rest in its mother's arms. Psalm 131, verses 2, But I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. This story also uh, hyperlinks back to another account in the Old Testament of another sleeper in the middle of a storm, uh, the prophet Jonah. In Jonah chapter 1, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. There are a lot of similarities here in these accounts. Both Jonah and Jesus were asleep in the boat during the midst of a terrible storm. Both of them were awoken by those who were in fear, said, wake up, we're about to perish. But then uh, the similarities sort of fall apart. Uh, Jesus wasn't running away as Jonah was. 
And Jesus wasn't ultimately swallowed by the storm, by the Tahom. Uh, when Jonah is in the water and he calls out to the Lord, he says, the deep surrounded me, the Tahom surrounded me. Jesus wasn't overcome or swallowed up by the storm. In fact, he overcame the storm. In the Old Testament, when there's something that, uh, that points to a, a fuller realization in the New Testament, theologically that's called a type. You don't need to remember that, but just if you hear that term, that's what it means. So we say that King David was in a way a type of Jesus. And then the fulfillment of that Old Testament uh, pointing is called the antitype. So in that type, King David is the type and Jesus is the antitype. And oftentimes these pointings from the Old Testament to the New are by way of comparison or greater fulfillment in the New Testament, but sometimes it's by contrast. And in this case, we have Jonah as a type of Christ, but Christ Jesus, the antitype, is a fulfillment and a contrast. In a way, Jesus was, in this story, an anti-Jonah. And Jesus alludes to that in Luke chapter 11. He says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, Jesus was specifically referring to three days and three nights that he would spend in the tomb, uh, contrasting that with the three days that Jonah was in the belly of the great fish. But um, here we see also an example of Jesus being a fulfillment of the Old Testament, the anti-Jonah. Jonah was the type. Jesus was the perfect anti-type. Jesus was what Jonah should have been, asleep in the boat, not because he was running away, but because he was resting in, in God's peace. So then we get to the uh, part of the story uh, that has the dialogue in it. Now, this is, this is in a typical Gospel of Mark fashion, very terse, concise uh, dialogue, but very, very meaningful, very, very impactful. Um, if you were to script this as a movie, um, I guess you'd have to do a, a really good job with every single line. Uh, it starts, the dialogue does, with the disciples waking Jesus up. Do you not care? Fear does strange things to people. If you've ever been afraid, you know. Sometimes you don't make the best decisions when you're afraid. Uh, if the language here uh, seems a little rude, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Uh, it seems that way because it actually is. This is not a way that a disciple should be speaking to their, to their teacher, let alone to their Lord. Fear caused these experienced fishermen to act like scared children. Uh, fear caused Jesus' friends to doubt his goodness. And fear caused the power of the, of the storm to distract them from the power of God. When Jesus wakes up, his first words, at least according to this account in Mark, are not to his disciples, but rather to the storm. Peace, be still. These are words of rebuke. These are actually uh, very similar to the words that he used earlier in the Gospel of Mark uh, to rebuke an unclean spirit. Peace, be still. And of course, 
uh, the storm does. The great storm, or uh, megale storm, a Greek word megale, great, suddenly becomes uh, the great calm, the megale calm in verse uh, 39. Jesus rebukes the storm first, and then he turns to his disciples, and he rebukes them for their lack of faith. Why are you so afraid? Why have you still no faith? Faith overcomes fear. These two ultimately cannot coexist. We either have faith or we have fear. Now, in our actual existence, they are oftentimes commingled. Anyone with me on that? But eventually, faith will overcome fear. And faith grows through, experience of, through experiencing the power and the mercy of God, and especially through experiencing the power and mercy of God in the storm. We'd like to go through life with good weather all the time, but that's not where we experience the power of God. That's not where our faith grows. So then the final, uh, final set in this dialogue is the disciples are turning to each other and they're saying, who then is this? And I would say in a sense, you could call this the disciples' conversion. Now, they believed in Jesus as their teacher, and they may even have believed in him as Lord, as Messiah at that time. But in this moment, they saw that Jesus was not only uh, a great man, a great teacher, but he had the divine power of God over the chaos waters, over the Tahom, that he truly was God. And this fear of the storm was replaced by a holy fear of God. This question that they ask, who then is this, is also the question that we each need at some point in our lives to answer. So implications from this story. One, Jesus is able to calm our fears, to bring order out of our chaos, and to draw faith out of fear. Uh, this has been a tough year. Uh, it's been a tough year, uh, not just for my family, for our community, but for the whole world. Uh, this pandemic has brought us uh, to our knees. And it's not just been the storm outside, it's been the storm inside. You know, we've seen a surge in mental health problems. As many of us, even as we're getting towards, uh, uh, looking towards normality, are still dealing with uh, a lot of the after effects of, um, of this very traumatic year. The storms outside uh, God has power over the storms inside. He also has power over. Um, this week I've been uh, writing a letter to my father who passed away 19 years ago. That stirred up a lot of storms inside. But I'm doing it with faith that Jesus can calm those storms in with the words, peace, be still. I encourage you as well, lean into, lean into those emotions. Let Jesus call out, peace be still. Second implication of this passage, Jesus, like Jesus, we can acknowledge our limitations. If Jesus did, then maybe we can too. 
We can find our rest in God. We can sleep in peace amidst the storms of life. Oftentimes, we stress ourselves out, don't we, by failing to acknowledge our own limitations. But we are human. Just as Jesus was human, he needed sleep, so he rested. We need sleep. We need to take rest, too. Third implication is that like the disciples, we will find that Jesus does care. When we ask that question, uh, do you not care? Uh, Jesus will prove to us that he does uh, if we stay in the boat with him through the storm. This is, this is really how our faith grows. When the storms come and our boat is being swamped, we feel these primal fears coming up out of the depths of our being. At first, we want to try and bail out the water to try and keep ourselves afloat by our own efforts. Then as the boat begins to fill, uh, we feel this overwhelming compulsion uh, to bail ourselves, to extract ourselves from the situation, to uh, metaphorically jump ship, jump out of the boat. But Jesus calls us to stay there, to abide with him in the boat, whether it's a troubled marriage or a relationship, whether it's a challenging job or assignment, some other difficult situation or some commitment we've made to ourselves, to our others. Jesus calls us to abide with him in the boat, weather the storm with him, because he will prove to us that he does care. He is master of the storm, and he can be master over the storms inside our own hearts if we let him, if we let him say, peace be still to our own fears. Lastly, come back again to this question that this passage leaves us with. Who then is this? Who is Jesus? It's a question we need to ask ourselves whether we're searching or whether we've been believers for many years. Who is Jesus? Who really is Jesus? Because our identity is tied to his. Amen. As you're able, please stand for the reading of the Nicene Creed.